Hey guys, I just wanted to pop in to let you all know that the shoot for spider went extremely well. I'm so thankful for all the love and support you guys have given me and for the incredible team that helped me bring spider to life. We're now in post-production and I can't wait to put everything together and show you guys the gnarly monster movie we made. Now it's time to talk about Dracula. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. You are all my children now. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I'm joined by writer, editor, and podcaster. He's co-host of the Horror Hangover podcast, and he writes for so many things. He's awesome. Please welcome Ryan C. Bradley. Hey, everybody. I'm Ryan. Good to be here. I'm so happy that... uh, you're joining me today. You picked you picked the king of horror. Let's be real. You picked like yeah. the OG king. And uh, I'm not going to uh, beat around the bush. It's Dracula. We're talking Dracula yeah. today. <laughs> Heck yeah. I was surprised more people haven't taken Dracula as, as their pick. I think I'm the second one. You're the second one. And they've both been kind of recent. Like my first Dracula episode was that was done in May of this year. So well after the year point of this podcast's um, life history. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have anyone that you wish people would bring up? Is there something you're like dying to talk about that no one has brought in? Well, it's funny. My favorite, my favorite monster horror monster is the xenomorph and that got picked number two like that was picked instantly so um so i was very pleased about that and it's funny i just recorded a uh xenomorph episode yesterday oh listeners you probably already heard it you probably heard it last week (laughs) but at the time of this recording because i'm I'm pretty ahead with there's like a time travel aspect to podcasting. You know what I mean? Yeah, you record and then like we recorded an episode last before my kid was born and I'm editing it like this month to come out. And it's like my kid's a year and a half almost. So it's like been a a very long time. And also when you have a kid, like your opinions on shit change. I'm listening like, I don't even believe that anymore. (laughs) It is what it is. And I uh, I don't go back and listen to my own show because I don't know, that'd be I don't know if it'd be weird, but I just feel like editing the show. I listen to my voice enough that I don't <laughs> want to go back. That makes sense. But I feel like if I if I listen to myself talk from even a year ago or even like two months ago, I've drastically changed my mind on a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have like a set opinion on most things going forward. You ask me any day, like if you'd ask me today, I probably wouldn't say Dracula again for like my favorite monster. I'd probably say something different. I don't even know what. Just every and, time it would be different. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like I have some constants. Like my favorite movie is Jurassic Park and it's been my favorite movie since I was three years old. So that's not oh, changing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like- I mean, I agree, but I'm a little biased. <laughs> but also, yeah, it, I, I think that's like uh, that's a consensus. Great movie. Like most people think Jurassic Park's pretty good. So <laughs> but like like I've changed my favorite movie of the year of like 2023 a lot. That's been changing like 
all the time. And what is uh, it now? You know what? If you ask me, I I think it's Oppenheimer at the moment. Okay. And I and I recognize there's a lot of re uh recency bias, but I just can't stop. I've seen it twice already, and I can't stop thinking about it. It overtook my love for indiana jones it overtook dial of destiny for me but Mm -hmm. then dial of destiny might be it might make a comeback um across the spider-verse could hop back into number one i'm due for a rewatch of cocaine bear is that good i'll say it this way i think for the average person cocaine bear is a good time it's fine okay for me who loves creature features warts and all like yeah it's been such a long while since I've seen such a satisfying, zany, gory creature feature. It's my cup of tea. So I, it's like everything I personally love in a movie happens to be in Cocaine Bear. Nice. Like all my niche tastes. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it kind of just like lines up perfectly with, with you. Exactly. So, so like I don't see a lot of other people putting Indiana Jones 5 or Cocaine Bear really high in their list, but. Those two are really high in mind. Okay, nice. But then, like I said, I'm really digging Oppenheimer at the moment. Spider-Verse is a contender. I really liked Guardians 3. And then, um, and then, yeah, um, but there's a bunch of movies I really like this year. How about, how about you? What do you think is your favorite of the year so far? uh, So, because I have the kid and I'm like the primary caregiver, I've seen Scream 6, which costs $70. Had to pay the babysitter for three hours. Mm. And I saw Evil Dead Rise and The Blackening. And those are the three movies I've seen in theater this year. Um, out of those three, The Blackening was my favorite. I thought it was hysterically funny. Um, I still I haven't like seen Six it. Too. Definitely check it out. It's uh, well worth to. the $10 or whatever. I really want to. Yeah. Yeah. I think once my kid is older, I will see way more movies again. But like this year and last year, I just like lost years. I'm not going to know movie history <laughs> for those two years. I think you'll have time to catch up. I think you'll be fine. (laughs) I think eventually, yeah. Yeah, I'm catching a lot of stuff on streaming still. Just miss the theaters. Yeah, not me. I can't relate, but I'm also just me. So (laughs) it's very easy for me. Yeah. What did you think of Scream 6 and Evil Dead Rise? Evil Dead Rise, I'm like middle of the road about. Like I watched it. I was there. It was a movie. It happened. I don't think it was particularly bad. I don't think it was particularly good. I think it was missing like the kind of manic, joy that's in the evil in the first two evil dead movies mm-hmm. or the first three really um and it didn't have like the insane gore of the fede alvarez one so like, i didn't hate it i didn't love it it was there and i saw it scream six uh the more i reflect on it like when i first saw it, I was like this is so great i'm in a movie theater someone else is watching my kid this is just <laughs> a wonderful experience um but when i thought about it more it just feels like the core four as they call themselves, or as one of them calls them in the movie, I think they have too much plot armor, especially the the twins, um, which I love them as characters, but they just get stabbed every movie. And uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown's character is like basically dead on a subway train. And the person who saves her is one of the other killers. For some reason that saves her. And so it's like, I don't know. I feel like they're having uh, too much protection for those four main characters. And it's making it feel very safe rather than horrific. It almost feels more like a superhero movie for how they're going to beat up Ghostface with a bunch of side characters dying rather than like Scream 2 where uh, Jamie Kennedy's character dies in the, the van. Yeah. You're like, oh shit, that was like, now the gloves are off. We're missing that gloves are off feeling. 
Yeah, and I think the previous Scream kind of had that gloves are off moment. Yeah. Too. Exactly. Well, no, I get that. I I get that critique of Scream 6. I think it's really fair because because like I think if I think we'd be more forgiving if we didn't stab a certain character 19 fucking times. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, but like I guess you have Dewey in the first two movies who gets the shit staff out of him. He's basically a pin cushion. Then in Scream 3 right. and 4, he's still kind of just like limping around. In Scream 5, he's showing it a little more. But Dewey was always comic relief. And I feel like the characters living now are not the comic relief. And they're likable. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't mind them. I yeah. don't mind that they make it to the end. I just don't think we need to see them. Like if you're. If you're going to stab one of them 19 times, like this is just the one kill on them. the subway, right? No, I'm talking about. Oh, I'm, I'm you just get stabbed care- repeatedly in the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. trying to be careful because um, I don't think everyone has seen Scream Six yet. Oh, you're you're right. You're right. Um, can you put a spoiler tag on the this part of the conversation? You, <laughs> you know came what? For the Dracula. Stay for the Scream Six. Spoilers. <laughs> if I forget, guys, that's on me. We'll see. We'll see what yeah. happens <laughs> if I if I actually do or not. Yeah, I just hope it's clear. My critique isn't that these characters keep surviving because I like them. My critique yeah. is that they're getting like stabbed and then surviving in increasingly improbable ways. And it doesn't right. seem like it's just like we don't want to kill them because we like them. I and don't the, like that for a horror film. And it's all and I just don't like it in general because to me it's like, oh, you're going to stab a beloved character, but then they're going to be OK in like two minutes don't play with my emotions like that if you're going to do it do it yeah yeah because i do because i want to feel sad you know like i want to go through all the emotions but i don't like i really don't like those fake outs and you see that in all kinds of movies like off the top of my head like uh, uh the ones that really kind of made me mad are like star wars the rise of skywalker and spider-man no way home oh with chewy and the rise of skywalker right yeah yeah, that was frustrating how poorly that was executed. The fake out it was a different ship. Like, what? This is just absurd. Right. This is just it's, cheating. It's not writing anymore. Right. And then like in Spider-Man No Way Home, where G- Green Goblin stabs Tobey Maguire in literally two minutes he's, later, he just gets back up. Oh, yeah, I've been stabbed before. Yeah. Mine is that Futurama episode where Fry gets a bee stinger directly through him. Mm-hmm. And it hits the person behind him who gets poisoned, but Fry is totally fine. It was like that kind of thing where it's like, it's yeah. funny. It doesn't work in your action horror franchise. Right, exactly. But but uh, credit where credit's due, the opening of Scream 6 with the, the fake out with the two other killers, I like that a lot. I, I like a lot of new. I like a lot of Scream 6. I love the subway scene. I think it's one of the more visually interesting Scream movies. Yeah, I agree with that. Not the first one. (laughs) So I think there's a lot to like about Scream 6. You know, it was my favorite movie. It it had the number one spot for a hot second. And then I think I gave it right back to Cocaine Bear. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes Sometimes you just get a movie that's just so perfect. That's just like Martin Scorsese meme. This is cinema. (laughs) <laughs> and that's yeah. cocaine bear i'm gonna have to check it out yeah i'm meaning to watch it it's hard to get to stuff i yeah i don't think uh cocaine bear is necessarily a uh family friendly film <laughs> not at this age no <laughs> <laughs> but yeah let's let's go back in time a little bit 
what was your earliest memory of horror for you? I was not allowed to to watch horror as a kid. Oh. There's two memories that really stick out for me. One is that I used to go to the library and they had these like in the kids section, these black and white retellings of universal monster movies with pictures. And so I looked at those a lot and I'd check them out and bring them home. They'd like draw your own monster books. I loved those. And my neighbor, Carla Nunez, would play basketball on this little court her dad had built away from their driveway. And I would sit there and she would just tell me the plots of horror movies. I don't know if my brother or my sister was with me. One of them probably was. She would just tell us the plots of horror movies. And now that I've seen some of those movies, she was definitely making up at least a portion of it. But that was pretty much my first exposure to a lot of it. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Do you do you remember the first time you got introduced to Dracula? It had to be those, if it wasn't those little books from the library, either like someone had like a, maybe like a book sale at a church or a, just the, on the town green or something, had like a kid's Dracula copy. And I remember reading it in one sitting. Maybe my grandma had it. Someone had it and I read it, but I don't know which came first. Childhood is all just like a jumbled mess in my mind. Oh, I feel that. <laughs> I feel that in my soul. Speaking of childhood. Okay, so you know how everyone, because I think you and I are around the same age, or at least we're in the same generation. Yeah, the same five years, I think. Yeah. You know how a lot of people in our generation, like they have fond memories of books like uh, Goosebumps? Yeah, yeah. I have a specific, a specific memory of this series of books that I loved. And for whatever reason, I just got reminded of them not too long ago, but they're called Banicula. Oh, yeah, yeah. I dug Banicula. Like, what happened to Banicula? Is that still a thing or is that just like a remnant of our childhood? I think it still has to be a thing. I feel like right now, everything from our childhood is making a comeback because people our age are having kids. We want to share this like weird. I don't think our parents' generation cared about Banicula, but I think that like I'm with. If Benicula was there right now at the bookstore and I saw it and my kid like showed any interest whatsoever, or it was just near me, I would probably buy Benicula when it was like she was old enough to read it to her. I think a lot of stuff's going to come back in that way because they know that like we have nostalgia for it. We're very nostalgic because of social media. And so they just want to tell us all the same stuff we bought as kids for our kids. Well, I'm putting it out in the universe if... uh that I call dibs on the Benicula movie. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll adapt and direct it. I... I think I'd make a make a, a killer, pun intended, Benicula movie. Because I think that that'd be such a fun gateway horror. Yeah, absolutely. And then we could sneak a bunch of like horror references in it. Not And it won't be like reference-based humor or whatever, but we can kind of homage different shots from all sorts yeah. of horror movies. And it could be a great introduction, a horror 101 for kids. That sounds amazing. They uh and all right. So I have a very specific I have not read these books in years. Yeah. Like definitely over a decade. But I specifically remember this one scene because it's so funny. I think it informed my sense of humor a bit. But there's a scene where the cat character tries to kill the um kill Banicula. And they read that you can only kill a vampire with like a stake through the heart. So I remember specifically the cat has like a T-bone steak and he's trying to stab Benicula with like the oh, piece of meat. That's hilarious. My I goodness. don't remember which book it was in because there was a couple books, but for whatever reason, that mental image has never escaped me. 
That's a good one. I don't remember it. I remember the cover of Benicula and the Benicula. I remember being disappointed that the the rabbit only ate fruits and vegetables with its fangs. And I wanted to like suck human blood or, or rabbit yeah, blood. Become a carnivore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted a, a carnivorous Benicula. But I don't think that happened in the, at least the one I read. I don't remember because I know there's a couple books, but they, you know, this was years ago. So I don't remember if they ever did it. I think, I think if you want that, you're going to have to stick with Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, from Benicula to Dracula. Yeah. So I, I read Dracula, the, the full unabridged novel as a senior in high school for a research paper. And it was great. I loved it. And then it'd been like 10 years. I was on a podcast covering Tomb of Dracula. And one of the people on the podcast said the book wasn't good. And I didn't argue with them at the time, which I wish I had. Then I reread Dracula last year with, do you ever hear of Dracula Daily? No. Dracula Daily is really cool. So uh, Dracula is an epistolary novel. So all of the, the entries have dates or every chapter has a date, basically. And so what Dracula Daily did was they mailed every entry from any given day on that day. So I think it starts on like May 27th, uh, whatever Dracula day is. It starts that day and they email you the first, Jonathan Harker's first diary entry as he's going up the Carpathian Mountains. Um, so it's a really cool way to read Dracula. And it felt very true to the spirit of the book where it's like uh, the psychiatrist character is recording stuff on the most new technology you can find. He's recording it on whatever recording technology they had in 1897. Uh, so the Dracula Daily to your email inbox felt like a very true to the spirit of the book way to read it. Um, and it really held up. I thought it was great every time I read it. I wish I'd said more on that podcast where I didn't defend it. Well, now is your time. Now is your time to reclaim to yeah. uh, reclaim that stance and defend Dracula's honor. <laughs> yes. I do think that Dracula is very hard to adapt into a film. And that's why we've never had like, I think we've had good Dracula adaptations, but never a great straight up adaptation of the book. But I think because it's not a three act structure at all. It's like Jonathan yeah. and the Count in the castle is like a full act, like 50 pages. And it, it's terrifying. If you can put yourself in the mindset, I don't know what this dude is, which is the mindset of readers in 1897. It's like, obviously, we know it's Dracula now. So you have to right. put yourself in that like, and I think that's also like the difficulty of adapting Dracula on the screen is like, if you call a movie Dracula, you can't have any time to be like, is it a vampire? Because everybody knows what, what Dracula is. Then from there, we get like this really interesting plot where Dracula is killing Lucy and she becomes the blue for lady. And they're making a whole movie of uh, his sea journey there, the, the Voyage of the Demeter, which is coming out soon, mm. um, which is an awesome part in the book. It's only like 20 pages, but it's like just excellent. And then they're hunting him more. They have to kill Lucy with the blooper lady. And every scene is just really, or every section is really, really exciting. The characters are very cartoonish, but they're fun. It's just a really fun book, and I love it. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad that uh, you're able to uh, right the wrongs of the past. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I have never read the book, so I have to get on that. I heard there's a really good audiobook if you like audiobook, like a full cast audiobook. Okay. That well, would I love be, audiobooks. I imagine, a really fun way to read it. I want to do it that way once just to see what it's like. I think that's going to have to be the way I do it, right? Probably when I'm finishing the audiobook I'm on right now. <laughs> yeah. Transitioning from the book to Dracula's insane uh, filmography, he might be, well, he's definitely one of the most iconic characters in cinema. For sure. Yeah, he's up there at least. 
He's been filmed yeah. so many times, so many languages, so many just wild takes. Right. And like, and like, there are a lot of iconic characters who are only played by one person, like, it, like Indiana Jones. Well, he's been played by more, but it's really just one person, you know? Yeah. You don't think of young Indiana Jones. You think of Harrison Ford. Right. He's only played by someone different in young Indiana Jones, right? And then the uh, train sequence in Last Crusade where he's played by River Phoenix. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But even then, Harrison's the star of Last Crusade, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's like a lot of the other iconic characters, they only have a handful of actors if they have more than one. But Dracula, like anyone could play Dracula and and you'll still feel like it's Dracula. If they play him well, yeah, absolutely. If they play him well, yeah. yeah. But even then, I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of Dracula movies that probably don't get seen a lot, and someone has to play it. But then, like, I don't know. I feel like even if it's not played well, like, yeah, like I, you could still tell it's a shitty Dracula, <laughs> but it's still Dracula. You know what? You know what I mean? Yeah, we have these things. And I don't. Do you think it's his look, or do you think it's like the the trappings that come, like the the rich noble vampire, which I think is what Bram Stoker like really gets over well. Because I think that, that that Dracula's rich and noble is such an important part of the character. Yeah, I I, I just think it's such a well-defined character that like, I mean, there are plenty of other vampire movies and Dracula-like figures, but you can tell that they're not Dracula, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think a dracula-like character is Candyman. yeah i see it i see it right like yeah. that's a very dracula like he's not dracula he's his own thing but you can kind of make that connection i think because like dracula Candyman is seductive yeah you, there's some yeah, charisma the to him yeah kind of gaslighty <laughs> yeah very gaslighty. <laughs> yeah so um Oh, and to answer your question from like uh, 20 minutes ago, what monster or characters would I have loved to talk about on here that haven't been picked yet? Candyman's never been picked. Oh, Candyman would be a good episode. He's that Candyman's like one of my top five favorite scary movies all time. Oh, it's great. So I would love to talk about Candyman. I'm just waiting for someone to pick him. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be a very cool one. But yeah, I don't want to derail too much i just realized i never actually answered that question i went on a whole background to the question then never answered it oh it's all good <laughs> i think tony todd would make a great dracula if he hasn't already played him in a very weird thing i haven't seen well i, I know he's think he has like sorry, just, just such a good presence and such a good voice yeah i know he was in clive barker's frankenstein oh i haven't seen that i'll have he... to check that out if I remember correctly, I believe he played the blind man. And then, yeah, Tony Todd would be a great pick for Dracula. I've listened to a podcast with him before, so I know he was in a stage adaptation of Dracula when he was, like, in school. And he wanted to play Dracula, but they made him play um, Van Helsing. <laughs> it's still a good role, but I get it. I'd yeah. rather be Dracula, too. And I think that's what he said, but they're like... If I remember the story he told on the podcast, I wish I could remember the podcast so everyone could go listen to it. But if I remember correctly, 
he was he said the same thing he wanted to play dracula but i guess the teacher was like we need you to play van helsing because you could do the lines <laughs> this is the lead <laughs> he was but i want to be dracula <laughs> uh, bella lugosi started out in a stage production of dracula oh i didn't know that yeah yeah so he was uh he's a stage actor first i read a biography of him recently let me look up the name of the guy who wrote it real quick For um, sure. you know mine I, I don't mind at all. I'll uh, I edit these, but I'm still gonna stall. I'm gonna stall for time, <laughs> and everyone knows I'm stalling. Not I am not stalling. I am stalling. <laughs> Corin Shadme wrote a great graphic novel biography of Bela Lugosi, The Monster Show by David J. Scull is also great. It's a uh, Lugosi and Karloff together. Um, okay. Like I find Lugosi a completely fascinating person historically, and also mm -hmm. kind of my favorite Dracula. But yeah, he started out in a stage production and had to kind of talk his way into being the on-screen Dracula. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, there was a. I'm glad... So go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm glad he did. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he was great. I wish he did it more because like, apparently he's only played Dracula twice in the oh. actual uh, Universal movies. He played it in Dracula, and the Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman. That's interesting because you feel like he's played it way more than that. I mean, he's so entwined with the character. I think he also did like advertising spots. He did like a, he did a spot with Betty Boop where it ends with him saying like, you booped your last boop. Um, it's really cute and funny. But yeah, he didn't actually play Dracula a ton. He ended up uh, getting addicted to drugs and going into like, a lot of very low-end productions, um, some of which are good because he's in them. Everything he does, he kind of lends this, like, insane, scary gravitas to, even when the stuff around him isn't working as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I'm learning a lot. See, guys? There's always stuff to learn. Oh, Although I will fun. admit, I'm not, I'm not a huge... I don't want to say I'm not a fan of Dracula because that's not the... That's not the... the case it's more like dracula if i were to rank the universal monsters dracula's on the lower end of that list for me who's on the, the higher end i think i heard you saying the creature is your favorite from the black lagoon it, on another episode am i making that up i i probably did but i'm probably <laughs> I'm changing it also if that <laughs> makes ahead. sense because today i'm going to say it's frankenstein okay or no maybe i do like the creature the most here's the thing I know, I know the creature's a fish man, but he, to me, he always looked like a lizard. Mm. And I think, I think reptiles are cool. They are. I'm a very simple, I'm a very simple dude. <laughs> if, if you look like a reptile, you're probably my favorite uh, character. <laughs> nice. Did you but, like uh, Guillermo yeah. del Toro, uh, The Shape of Water? Oh, I love The Shape of Water. Great movie. Yeah. I need a rewatch it. I'm due for a rewatch. I haven't seen it since it came out, but uh, I, I thought it was a brilliant film. I was very happy it won Best Picture. Yes. Even though that was a great year. And I would have been very happy if a number of films won. What was it up against? Do you remember? I remember specifically Get Out and Lady Bird. Oh, that was an insanely good year for movies. And I know there are more, but those are the ones that, uh, that, that um popped immediately in my mind yeah that was the year where i was like wow the oscars really care about horror again 
this is going to keep happening every year. It did not keep happening every year. Oops. It'll be another 10 years until they recognize our genre. But what was... I'm pulling up the the best pictures of that year because it was an insane year. Baby shark. Okay. So it was The Shape of Water, which won, and I was very happy it won. Call Me By Your Name, which I actually haven't seen. Uh, Darkest Hour, which was pretty good. Dunkirk, which I... You know what? I'm just going to say it. I'm going to speak my truth. I think Dunkirk's a bad movie. I don't understand why people like it. Yeah, I don't understand war movies in general. I feel like there's this really great quote at the beginning of uh, Slaughterhouse-Five where Kurt Vonnegut's editor asks him, like, why are you writing a war novel if you know it's not going to stop war? And I feel that way about war films a lot of the times, like, the editor in the Slaughterhouse-Five said, like, you might as well write an anti-glacier novel because <laughs> you will do as much to stop the glacier as you will to start, stop a war with the book. <laughs> war movies aren't my favorite, but there are some I like. Yeah. But Dunkirk, I just, I, th- I thought it was the rare Christopher Nolan dud. Hmm. Let me rephrase. I think it's the only Christopher Nolan dud. I'm, I really like Christopher Nolan. I think he's great, yeah. But I, I I just think Dunkirk. Um, I I don't understand why people liked it so much. I I didn't really care for it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I saw it, didn't didn't love it. But I also like. I think there's this uh like very Twitter brain thing where like people will hear this and think like they should not. I'm saying they shouldn't watch war movies. So I should say like there's plenty of space for people to watch movies I don't like. Yeah. As long as you're not making me do it, you watch whatever you want to watch. But you have to. But here's the thing. My opinion yeah. matters. The mo- no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. What else we have that year? Uh, Get Out, which I would have loved if that won. Um, yeah, that I, very well could have. Maybe should I have. think it's my favorite of the Best Picture nominees. And um, the next one, Lady Bird. Also a great film. Close second. Close yeah. second. And um. I mean, little filmmakers, Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig, what are they up to now? Nope, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Barbie, which blew up, like, yeah. Barbenheimer pun intended. Um, <laughs> well, I think interesting about Get Out, there's yeah. a reading of it that it's a vampire film. because uh, they're I would need you to elaborate. Because the, the white family is taking the bodies and very, mm. like, basically turning them into them. It's a very vampiric kind of transition, the stealing of someone else's body through a slow seduction. And they do their nastiness mostly at night. Yeah, yeah. And they're very charming. They're definitely well off. Okay. okay. It's not like an A to B thing, but I think there's an argument that Get Out is a vampire film. And I and I think there's Dracula vibes too. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. I, I dig it. I don't think Lady Bird's a vampire movie though no i don't know if i could swing that one <laughs> After you might that, be able to... we ha- oh, oh i'm sorry you said you might be able to call her mom an emotional vampire but i feel like you'd be flattening the uh oh. you'd be flattening the emotional landscape of the film so i think the film wants you to understand why the mom is that way and so right. kind of empathize with her even though she's awful at times especially the i forget exactly the line about the dress the girl wears that's what the yeah. mom says but it's 
incredibly hurtful. But then we get well, the like, airport loop. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's I just was running like, out of steam. Uh, I got you. Uh, I, I'm picking up the torch. But it's just like that's just life. That's just human. Like the human experiences. Everybody is especially like a parent to child relationship at times, especially at like those during those teenage years. You love you love each other, but then sometimes you're just nasty. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when your personalities are so similar. You butt heads like it's just. Yeah. I think it's a, a great film. Up next is Phantom Thread, which was disappointing because I didn't see that many ghosties in it. What the hell? I never got to see that one. Paul Thomas Anderson. It's Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the those guys are pretty good at what they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, And then there's The Post, which is Steven Spielberg yawning his way to an Oscar nomination. Like. I love Steven Spielberg, but that's a movie he could do in his sleep. And I kind of think he did <laughs> like it's it's lower. It, it, here's here's the thing about the post for me. It's very low on my Spielberg rank, all time Spielberg rankings. And it's still like a three and a half, four star movie. What did you think? of? I didn't see that one. What did you think of the Fablemans? I love the Fablemans. OK, cool. I uh, hated the <laughs> ending. Oh, I think. <laughs> Is it okay if I go into it, or you want me to? Spoiler say alert for the Fablemans, guys. I feel like the scene where the Steven Spielberg stand-in character, the bully, comes up and is like, "Why'd you do that? Why'd oh, you do that?" Yeah, I thought that that was so unintentionally hysterical, <laughs> and I think it was so like someone needs to talk to Steven Spielberg, like he's a regular person for a while, and be like, "Hey, Steven." Can you critically reevaluate this memory you have from high school where your bully came and cried because your movie was so good? I'm pretty sure that did not actually happen. Well, I that's really interesting because I read it at or I don't know if I even read it. But the feeling I got from it was I don't think this happened at all, but this is how. I think this is a moment in Steven Spielberg's life that he went over and over and over and over again, that this is how he yeah. wished he, it played out. Okay, so you think it's like a reimagining of the the actual moment, not the... I think it is. I mean, I, I, I don't okay. claim to... I don't claim to know what the GOAT is thinking, but... Yeah. <laughs> but and that's the vibe that I like got that. from it. Okay. And that's fair. I will say, I think like his first five to ten movies, like Duel, Jaws, yeah. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, are all fucking phenomenal. Like he's a extremely talented and deserving of all of the the accolades he's gotten across his fifty year career. Even if I didn't like the ending of one particular movie. Oh no, I I wasn't trying to get at that. I was just saying that's how I thought yeah, yeah. of that moment in the film because I also was like. I do enjoy the part where he's like, maybe he'll make a movie about this. I'm like, okay, come on. <laughs> yeah, I did say like, why'd you do that? To my partner, <laughs> like three times a day for the two <laughs> weeks after we saw that movie. And it was always good for a laugh. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I love that film. And then the last 2017 Best Picture nominee was uh, Three Billboards Outside Abbey, Missouri. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, so that was a amazing year. That was, that was. 
Was the lobster that year too, or the lobster was the year before that or after that? Uh, I don't know. Picture? I don't think it was nominated though. Okay. When it did come out, you know who won Best Actor that year was for The Darkest Hour was Gary Oldman, who yes, is one of the Draculas, and that's how we oh. get back on topic. A plus transition. A plus. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about um, all the different guys who've played Dracula. Because we talked a bit about yeah, Bella, we talked about Bella a little bit. But like, I we gotta shout out Christopher Lee. Yes, Christopher Lee is a great Dracula. I did not love the first one he was in. That's the only one I've seen of the Hammer ones. But mm. I love him in it. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I feel the same way with a lot of Hammer movies where I don't love. Of the ones I've seen, and there's only like two or three. So I have a lot of watching to do, but just like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. <laughs> Both of them are excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Agreed. I, I just I just think it's funny because I can my brain's weird where I can differentiate Christopher Lee like, oh, that's Dracula. And then when I'm watching like other like, oh, that's Count Dooku. Oh, that's. Saruman but like when I'm watching him as Dracula I see him as Dracula when I'm watching him in Star Wars I see him as Count Dooku stuff like that when it's Peter Cushing I'm always like that's Grand Moff Tarkin no matter what role he's in (laughs) I don't know why I do that but that's weird right (laughs) I don't think it's that weird I think that did you watch Star Wars at a very young age the original Star Wars like the original trilogy well I I I was around nine or 10 when I first start, got into Star Wars and Attack of the Clones was out. So. Oh, yeah. OK. Attack of the Clones came out when I was a little older. So I feel like like Chris Lee, yeah. that might have been the first. No, I saw my storm on first, I think, in Lord of the Rings. Well, maybe because I probably saw Attack of the Clones and Lord of the Rings around the same time. Yes, you've seen that probably two helped. Things. Yeah. But I did see the original Star Wars first. You probably saw Peter Cushing in that when you're like nine or ten, and he was probably dead at that point. Yeah, he. I want to say he died in '94, right? I think I'm not positive, but you probably didn't see him in any other films for a long time because he's not like he's only acted once since death. Oh, they only did one oh. weird hologram oh. thing with him. Oh, That's not a great way to phrase that. I uh, okay, so yeah, that yeah, I, I still don't. I like Rogue One, but I still get the heebie-jeebies. It, it don't feel right. It's weird, especially because they have the technology to like make masks or just like cast a different person. I don't know. Like, I, I, don't I don't understand why we just don't do that anymore. But anyways, anyways, I just looked it up. He, um, Peter Cushing passed away August of 1994. Great memory for the year. And I was born October of 1994. You guys know overlap. The Just the tiniest sliver. Of no overlap. Yeah, you almost, if your mom had gone two months earlier, you would have. Uh, or if bit. he just lasted a, just two more months. It's like, probably easier, yeah, on his end. But so that's probably <laughs> why you associate so much with that character, though, because you just didn't see him in anything for like 25 years. Yeah. And right. Christopher Lee was in all kinds of stuff in the 2000s. Yeah. And it, like he was in um, the Tim Burton Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. And yeah, because Christopher Lee is amazing yeah i'm glad he got his flowers at the end yeah. it, feel, it felt like like the 80s and 90s maybe 90s until he was in star wars and lord of the rings it didn't seem like he was getting much work he was it in gremlins like he was, too he was he was great in gremlins too yeah maybe i'm just making it up maybe he was just kind of around the whole time it felt but, like he had a huge mainstream resurgence in the 
mid 2000s. I and I think I think you're right. The mid I think the mid 2000s was the peak of his career because it doesn't get crazy. bigger than Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and he was like 80 at that point. I'm yeah. very happy he got that because he's great and talented and deserved it. And I know he I know he went a long time not really I don't want to speak for him one one because I don't know him and also because uh he's been passed away for a few years but uh from what i understand was he didn't quite care for the hammer horror films that he was in and he kind of resented being stuck in a box for a very long time but i think i think you can make the argument that that box got him casted in his most iconic roles because you know peter jackson loved those movies like peter jackson's a horror fan through and through yes and then um george lucas like he Cast Peter Cushing and A New Hope go to yeah, the other half for well. Count Dooku, like and George Lucas, like George Lucas has a huge range of taste. Yeah, yeah. Bella Lugosi had the same complaint mm-hmm. that he was just kind of trapped in these horror roles, and he was trying to break out of it at the time of his uh his death. Yeah, and so I get one, it. Okay, so one not Dracula himself, but Blackula with William Marshall as Mama Walde, the lead character Blackula. Mm-hmm. It's a very underrated vampire film. It has Dracula in it. Um, it's very like almost transgressive. Not transgressive. That's probably the wrong word. It's very progressive. And the, the opening is Mum, Mama Walde is arguing with Dracula, trying to convince Dracula to use his vampiric powers to end the slave trade. Oh, I, I've never seen Blackula. Oh, you should definitely check it out. Um, it's, it's been on my of, radar. I hear it's awesome. It's like a little bit before black exploitation really kicked off. So it, it it doesn't have as much of like the racial stereotyping as a lot of future black exploitation had. Um, it's also written and directed by black folks. Um, but it's definitely worth the watch. It's a lot of fun. I really like it. Yeah, I got to check that out. There, like I said, I have a lot of Dracula and Dracula related blind spots. Except for Bonicula. It's, it is hard with Dracula because there's just so many, like we were talking about earlier, there's so much of it. There's so much Dracula. It's a fire hose, not a faucet. Yeah, exactly. And it's easier with like, like there's not a lot of the wolf man. There's a couple, but there's not a lot. There's a ton of werewolf, but not a lot of wolf man. And I think there's a yeah. big distinction because there's, there's even more vampire than there is like there's so much Dracula and then you get even more if you just do vampire um, invisible man. There's like a handful. Um, yeah, two real 10. ones. There's two real ones. And then there's stuff like hollow man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frankenstein. There's a couple. Yeah, Frankenstein, I feel like has a big uh, it's like a lot of adaptations are bringing someone back from the dead, which you could argue is a Frankenstein adaptation or like a Frankenstein inspired thing or like even like bringing something to life and then it uh, turns on you but not a ton of Frankenstein's monster in particular. I, I think Frankenstein's more of like an influential than it is like a true, like, I mean, don't get me, don't, don't get me wrong. There is a, but I think, yeah, I think to your point, like Jurassic Park is a descendant of Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Scientists so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should bring back creatures from the dead and then lose control of said creatures, and now they're killing people. Like, is that Frankenstein or is that Jurassic Park? <laughs> yeah, yeah, six to one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah. I mean, if you fuck around and want to play God, you're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I think, yeah, 
And then, like, I think you can make the same thing with the Wolfman, because the Wolfman has a couple. Well, the Wolfman's interesting because that's one of the few Universal monsters not based off of a book, just based off of general folklore. Yeah, just the folklore. And I know they had the the 2010 remake of the Wolfman, but really the Wolfman was just in the sequels, has that remake, and then influenced every werewolf movie to come after. Yeah. Like American Werewolf in London. That's basically what I did with Jurassic Park to Frankenstein. That's mm-hmm. American Werewolf in London to the Wolfman. It's and I'm pretty sure John Landis said like that was just his version of the Wolfman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And then like the Howling has so many Wolfman references. Every, every werewolf movie does because like I, I believe that original movie invented like the folklore of uh like silver silver bullet. Or silver, I think. I huh. think that's what it made up. I know it made up the poem. Yeah. I'm not sure about the silver bullets, but I've never read a lot of werewolf I th- lore. I think that's where it came from. Or maybe it's it's a full moon I'm thinking of. I know it's something. I, yeah, know, I know it's something. When I read, I'd have uh, to rejog my memory. When I read, I'd have folklore class or two in, in college. And I mm-hmm. remember it was a lot more like wolf transformations for putting a wolf's pelt on or like wearing a wolf's tail rather than like having it in your body you still lose control but like you're wearing the thing and a lot of the times they're just like wearing the thing like eat their neighbor's chickens or some shit right and like i remember i used to in my school library i used to rent this book all the time or check out this book all the time where it's like just different monsters and stuff just about monsters because i was always interested in that and I remember reading like the like werewolves kind of came from they used they thought that just came from people who were insane and like you said and just did oh. and stuff like that that was like the real life application or the real life explanation and then the way that people at the time made it like process it in their head is like oh this person went crazy because he's a werewolf yeah if that makes sense. And I bet you it was a lot of, like, having to explain it to kids. I feel like yeah. adults even then knew, like, okay, he wasn't possessed by a wolf. Or maybe they thought he was possessed by a wolf, but they, they probably had a, a better understanding. I feel like yeah. the world explanation was, like, the, the way of talking about a thing everyone understood but didn't quite have the understanding of, if that makes sense. Like, they understood what was happening. They didn't have more sophisticated terms for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of monsters come from, Have especially read, in folklore. Uh, did you read anything about vampires in that book? I've heard some of it, but I'm curious if the book had... I know that, that it did, but I can't remember anything. So from uh, one of the main theories for vampires is that people believe in them because of uh, communicable diseases like tuberculosis. Mm. Because like the, the hardcore vampire legends before Dracula, because Dracula really softens it up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, was that vampires would first feed on their own family. So like someone would die they would come back from the grave, go to their family's houses and kill their family members one at a time. Um, and it would be like every symptom of having a vampire bite you is basically the symptoms of tuberculosis or some other. It's mostly tuberculosis, but other communicable diseases would do the same thing because if someone had TB in your house and you don't know germ theory yet because it hasn't been discovered yet, a lot of people in your family are about to die of TB. And the, the way to kill a vampire back then was... Uh, You'd cut out the heart, you'd cut off the head, and you'd chop off the hands, and you'd burn all of that. So it wasn't a stake through the heart, as you burn all of those yeah. things. It's very brutal. Well, it better work. 
<laughs> I don't think it did. I don't think you can stop tuberculosis by chopping off someone's body parts and burning them. Not with Maybe that attitude. The body would help. <laughs> Not with any attitude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Dracula. Gary Oldman's a great Dracula. Um, yes. I, I like waffle back and forth of whether I love or hate Bram Stoker's Dracula, the film. I don't know why they picked Bram Stoker's Dracula as the title, because they took a ton of liberties with the, particularly the plot line where Dracula loves Mina across time. That was all added. So I don't understand why they decided to name it Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's just like a weird choice. Like if you adopted yeah. some, you're going to adopt something and change a bunch of stuff. Why would you put the author's name at the beginning? Yeah, it, made a, it would have made more sense if it just said Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Yes, which is really what it is. And it is a good film. Um, I love the visual effects in awful. I watched it yeah. yesterday. It had oh, nice. a lot more sex than I remembered. <laughs> I did not remember uh, the scene where Gary Wolf, uh, Gary Oldman in wolf form is just fucking railing Lucy in the graveyard in front of everybody. That was uh, my kid knows that now. And uh, that's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my kid actually saw that, but yeah, okay. uh, it's a very good movie, though. Oh, yeah. But then the acting is so it's like I love the visuals and the acting performance. Like Keanu Reeves' performance is so weird. His accent is laughable. The acting performances are so interesting. Keanu Reeves is so his accent is not good. Mm-hmm. And he's so kind of wooden throughout. And Anthony Hopkins is very over the top as Van Helsing. And I'm never sure, like, is this what Francis Ford Coppola is asking them to do? Or is this just like, I don't know. It's just a kitchen sink movie. So there's so much I love about it. And there's so much I don't really like about it, too. It's so I'm not sure how love it or hate film. It. <laughs> yeah. But particularly this film. So I feel like most films <laughs> at least have like a, like a singular tone throughout. And this did not. I love it, though. <laughs> I know. I think it's doing that on purpose. I think that's yeah. part of the reason yeah. why you, people you love it. it's intentional. It. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. I think we covered the three main Draculas. I got to ask, and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyways. Have you had a chance to see Renfield? Not yet. I wish. I would like to. I've heard Nicolas Cage plays Dracula, and I've heard that he's very good. The film is fine. Nicolas okay. Cage is worth the price of admission as Dracula. So that is seen... my recommendation. Okay. Have you seen Nicolas Cage's Vampire's Kiss? You know what? I have, but it's been a few years. But I I remember parts of it because they're like, I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. You know, I remember the yeah. basic stuff. Oh, it is excellent. It is just yeah. like Nicolas Cage going into full overdrive for I forget if it's 90 minutes or two hours, whatever. But it's, <laughs> it's one of those movies where, like, I love it. I'm not sure if it's good or not, but I absolutely adore this film. And, no, I, I love movies like that. <laughs> so, but, oh, yeah. Just, uh, how do you like Max Shrek as Nosferatu, which was a unauthorized adaptation of Dracula that got sued pretty hard by the uh, Stoker estate? You know, I got to say, I never think of... I, I know it's weird, because I know he... I know that. I know he's a knockoff of Dracula or a bootleg adaptation, if you will. Yeah. But I never think of him as Dracula. To me, Nosferatu is its own thing. And I blame SpongeBob. How so? You know the episode where it's the half slinging slasher where Squidward is like telling SpongeBob the scary story 
Krusty Krab at night. I haven't um, seen it, but please tell me about it. Mr. Krabs realizes you can make money. He can make money if he stays later and or, or if he keeps the Krusty Krab open later. And he uh, forces SpongeBob and Squidward to stay overnight. And no one's coming in for a 24-hour Krusty Krab. So SpongeBob and Squidward are just kind of there. And Squidward tells SpongeBob a horror story called The Half-Slinging Slasher, which is just like some shit he made up. And then uh, the story he made up, it all started happening and like flickering the lights and like other things. And then at the end of the episode, they find out it's just some dweeb who wants a job and all the different things that this was just like coincidence, except for the flickering lights. So Squidward, like, who was flickering the lights? And for no reason, they just have like Nosferatu. They're flickering <laughs> the lights. And everyone in the episode is like, Nosferatu. And they kind of like Photoshop a smile onto him. And then the episode ends. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, it, it's it might be one of my favorite SpongeBob episodes. It's one of the older ones, too. Not... It's like in that age where it wasn't when the animation was bad. It wasn't like the first season. It was like yeah. the season after where it was a bit more polished, but it was still old. Yeah, I, I am part of the SpongeBob generation. For sure. <laughs> My parents were very uh, restrictive in what we were allowed to watch. So we didn't have mm. cable. So I've missed a lot of the cartoons that like my contemporaries watched growing up. We just we didn't get Cartoon Network. We didn't get Nickelodeon. We could watch gotcha. my grandma's house. We could watch my friend's houses. We're not at home. Well, if you decide to go into a deep dive of cartoons to to reclaim, I recommend starting with that one so you can kind of see see that. <laughs> yeah. I think we covered the bases. I think we got the the main ones. I know there's so much more, but Dracula, there's so much with Dracula. There's a tremendous amount. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to be nice to myself and I'm not going to I'm gonna be like, OK, we we did a bit. We also talked about the 2017 Best Picture nominees, and that was important. Those are great <laughs> movies. Right. But I got I got to ask you the titular question of the show. Yeah. If you found yourself in the gaze of Dracula himself, would you die? It's a hard one. Because I think like. I don't think Dracula would particularly interested in me. <laughs> I don't think like, like I am not, I mean, in the book, he's like trying to build a vampire army and he has like all these locations. And he's planning to turn these people in these central London locations and they'll go out and turn other people, which is really cool. And I wish the movies would focus more on that at some point. Or like, I think it'd be a great video game. Just like be Dracula and try to turn all of London. Oh, all the world, awesome. just like once at a time. I think that would be super fun. But it depends what Dracula wants you for a lot. And I don't think Dracula, I think like I'm comfortably middle class. I don't think Dracula is after those people. I think Dracula is after the elite if he's going to turn them. And he's after the people who won't be missed if he's just going to eat them. Like in the book, they eat, feed him like a, a gypsy's child at one point, which is mm. fucked up um, that that's like yeah. the person they would eat. Um, but Jonathan Harker just watches him feed a baby to his brides. Um, it's horrible. But yeah, yeah, I don't think I particularly like Target. I don't. So I think that I may survive because of that. I think if you're going to get turned, that's another question. So I'd rather get right. turned than die. 
Um, I don't really want to be a vampire. But I think ultimately, if Dracula set his sights on me, it's hard with vampires. There's all these rules. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, if all I need to do is eat a lot of garlic, like, already done. I like spicy food. But I don't He'd probably kill me. He would probably kill me. And I'm just uh, perseverating to, to stay alive a little longer on your podcast. Would Dracula <laughs> kill you if you were in his gaze? Would you die? Well, here's, here is what would happen for me. I'd just be walking down the sidewalk, minding my own business, and then I'm going to see this dashing, handsome man with a cane and a top hat. And he'd be like, hey, come here. I want to eat you. And I'm going to be like, this man has a top hat. I have to listen to what he says. So, um, yeah, I'd die. What if you were a, a bowler or a fez? Then I'd like live. A, a hierarchy I'd... of hats that would get you? Yes, yes. So top hat's number one, because you always have yeah, to trust top hat would definitely get top you. hat. Because, yeah. like, who, what bad person wears a top hat? Spoiler alert, there's none. Well, I guess Dracula. But Dracula's not really a person, though. See? See? But, like, Abraham Lincoln, top hat. Good person. Tall. Yeah. Yeah. Slash. Yeah. Great good guitarist. Person, great guitarist. Yeah. Yeah. He wears a top hat. And then after that, after that, for the hierarchy, I'd say Fedora. Because here's the thing, fedora gets a bad rap because a lot of hipsters wear fedoras and then like people who aren't good wear fedoras. But that's all balanced out by Indiana Jones. So fedoras are more good than bad. Would Dracula get you in a fedora or would you have more uh, more questions? No, he'd get me in a fedora because he because he'd rock it like like some people can't rock a fedora. But Dracula would. And then number three would have to be those uh, those cup holder hats. With the, the two, I guess for Black Dracula, it wouldn't be beer, it'd be blood or something. Yeah. Would that get you? That'd absolutely get me. Yeah, well, probably. I think I might dodge the, the top hat and the fedora. I think the two beer cans on the side of his head, that would yeah. get me. If Dracula was like, hey, bud, come to this alley, I'll give you a beer. Exactly. All right, I'm doing it. I mean, that's a hat of a friend. A good friend. Exactly. <laughs> where uh, where can everyone find you in everything you do? I'm at Twitter at RyanB4890. My website is RyanCBradley.com. Those are the two places you can find me. I might go to a new social media as Twitter dies, but I'm uh, old and grumpy. So <laughs> I might not go to another social media. I'm so sick of this shit. Uh, <laughs> My debut novella, Saints Blood, came out last April, April 2022. It's the story of a college professor who gets kidnapped by the family of one of his students in Oklahoma, and they're draining his blood. You could argue in that way that it's kind of a vampire thing. It's really not <laughs> a vampire thing, but let's shoehorn it in there. And he's trying to figure out why they want his blood, and he's trying to escape before they kill him eventually. He's pretty sure that's what they're going to do. Um, if you want to answer those questions, you'll have to buy the book, which is available pretty much anywhere books are sold. You can also DM me for a copy of the book, and I'll send you a signed one um, for money. This is not a free service. I should clarify <laughs> that. Uh, I'm also a co-host of the Horror Hangover podcast with Cass Clark, who also has a book coming out very soon. They don't have the date yet, but their book, The Caretaker's on the way. I read an early copy. It's very, very good, um, and y'all should buy it pre-order it when the link is ready whenever yeah but we talk about horror tropes uh, my favorite episode if you want to check one out it's probably for the animal attack episode but we take an older movie and a newer movie 
um, generally like a classic and a, a less seen movie. And we use them to talk about how a trope has ex uh, evolved over time. So for animal attacks, we brought on a veterinarian um, who's also a podcaster, who, and she's great. Her podcast, Donna Leahy, is uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. We talked about Cujo and the birds. Ooh. And we just have fun. I also write short fiction. I have stories coming out in Tales to Terrify and Fish Gathered to Listen from Horns and Rattle Press. Nice. That That's incredible, man. Congratulations. You're doing Thank so you. much. It was awesome having you on. And... uh Thank you so much for taking yeah, the time to talk in Dracula. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we talked about Dracula and it didn't suck. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Ryan for coming on to talk about the King, the Count, the Dracula. This episode was a blast. I wanted to say it didn't suck, but I already made that joke earlier. A reminder, I just became an affiliate for Fangoria one of the premier brands in horror. I definitely recommend checking out their magazine and even subscribing. And if you decide to do that, don't forget to use the promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. Another reminder, I'm temporarily pausing the Patreon. It's been a busy, busy month, so it made sense to pause that, especially since I didn't think I could keep up, keep up with it and do it well while also maintaining the main show and everything else going on for me right now. Busy, busy time. It's a blessing to be busy, but uh, I don't want to half-ass anything either. Due to the SAG-AFTRA and the WGA strikes, I'm temporarily pausing the segment I Know What You Watched last week to show solidarity with the unions, and because, like, yeah, you're, your bro's a bro. I, I, I like this segment, but... If I have to pause it until the studios, you know, treat writers and actors well, then that's what I'm going to do. And another way you guys can help out this whole issue is by watching true independent cinema. The little guys who are doing this just because they love it. Because there's so much great indie movies out there. It's a perfect time to support those. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week, I'm not quite sure what's happening next week. Uh, I'm juggling a lot right now, but we'll see. Something, Something's coming next week. I, I just don't know what yet. Until next time, I'm Austin Taurus. Try not to die. <laughs>